0: Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Uh, We're grateful uh, that you are here this morning. If you're a guest with us uh, today, we're so grateful that you have chosen to be here. You'll find in some of the seat backs along the way uh, some connect cards, a way that you can connect uh, with us, a way you can uh, be added to some of our communication lists, and uh, we're excited about the pig picking tonight. There's a lot of pig um, being cooked right now as we speak, and uh, according to my latest uh, weather app, it's not raining, but according to the weather rock outside, it was a little shaky, um, during these moments, so stay connected. We'll send some emails. We may uh, have to adjust some things. We'll see how the day looks, but we're going to have uh, lots of food and a great time of fellowship either way, whether it be here or uh, on site at Cowie School, but stay connected to that. We'll try to post some updates uh, along the way on the website as well. Uh, email, text, all those things. Uh, but We're going to have a great time tonight. We encourage you to be part of that. And if you are a guest, we've been on a journey Uh, Since January, we spent about the first eight months of the year walking uh, through the Old Testament. And we've been looking ahead. We've been looking uh, at the promise that God had given Abraham at this uh, this, time beautiful truth, right? This covenant that he made with him, that every nation would be blessed, that all people would be blessed through him. We've been looking at this storyline of scripture. Uh, you'll see a, a, an image on the screen that'll point a, a little bit to that. But if you remember in January, we started out and we said that in the beginning, God created, right? And as he uh, created, we looked and everything uh, was good. Then, it, then he said, hey, it's not good that man is alone. And so we see uh, him uh, create uh, and, and gift us with marriage and gift us with all these things. But but it's not long into this story that we see uh, place number two, right? We see the fall and, and uh, man uh, disobeyed God and disobeyed his commands. And as a result of that, uh, they were kicked out of the garden and they were separated from God. And, and we saw the fallout from that, that, that the world is cursed, that we are, are in uh, the midst of a broken world. But even in the midst of the fall, even in the midst of Genesis chapter three, uh, we see God uh, begin to point to this promise. And in Genesis chapter three, he, he says that uh that there's some good news coming right he he says that that the uh that the serpent would uh, bruise the heel of christ but he said that the uh that, that the savior right that the seed of the woman uh, would crush the head of the serpent. And today uh, we are in a place where we are going to lean in and, and look. And and uh, and as we go on, right, we see in Genesis 12, we see in Genesis uh, just this uh, this beautiful picture. Genesis 15. There's so many places where w- we see uh, God begin to reveal His promise. And He said, "There's there's a a, a blessing that's going to come." And we begin to see uh, God at work through uh, His people. We see uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob, and we see this constant pattern through the Old Testament where uh, the people of God were unfaithful, uh, but God keeps his promises, and we see God uh, continuing to remain faithful. He makes a covenant with David that he promises that that it is going uh, to be from his lineage, that, that we're going to see a king who will rule forever, and we see this promise that God has given. And then today, uh, we have reached that spot this year, and if you're just joining in today, we want to encourage you just to jump in uh, to the reading plan we're in a place where we're reading through the scriptures together as a church we have uh, just are finishing the Gospels, and today we're going to be uh, looking at the cross. And it's been a heavy week of reading. Uh, and and next week, uh, we're, by the way, y'all didn't know this. This is exciting news. I've, I've got breaking news. Uh, it is Easter at Cali next Sunday, and so we're going to be celebrating the resurrection next week. And I, I just want to encourage you, you. Might need to get those Easter bonnets out. Uh, some kind of I, I mean, wear the the those pastel Easter dresses, whatever that looks like, because we're going to be selling. Celebrating uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I like to say it this way, that there's a tomb in Jerusalem that's empty. And every Sunday, by the way, that's why we gather on Sunday morning. Uh, That's the purpose of this. When we gather on Sunday morning, we're reminded uh, that the tomb is empty and there's a throne in heaven that's occupied by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we come and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited about that. We're going to sing resurrection songs and and we're going to celebrate that the tomb is empty. Uh, We do that every week. So it's an incredible time to jump in. A couple of weeks from there, we'll be moving into the book of Acts. And we we see uh, in scene four on uh, that piece, right, that there's a cross. And today we'll look at that cross as as we continue on this year. We're going to see, and we're going to look at this age of mission. That's where we're at. And so we want to find ourselves in the story. We want to see where we're at. We also want to see where the story is. So in Acts, we'll begin to see uh, the mission. And we look ahead right to that day that Jesus will make all things new. So today we're going to jump in. Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 19. If you want to take uh, your copy of God's Word and turn to John 19, and we are going to walk through a bunch of that passage. But there's one place that I'm so excited to get to, and we don't get there uh, until the end of that passage. But for those of you that have been around me uh, a little bit, you know that in this passage of Scripture is my favorite word in all the New Testament. I believe it is uh, one of the most powerful words in all the Scripture, one of the most important words in all the Scripture. And in our language. It is uh, is translated into three words, and it's just a simple three words. It is finished. But in the Greek, right, we see something that's beautiful, and we're going to look today into that word, and it's a word that I hope you all will know. I hope that men uh, in this room will begin to use this around their house when they complete projects, when there's anything that's going on. Uh, At the end of that, uh, we get something done, and it is finished. We're going to shout out to Tetelestai, right? We're going to know that. we got to get that uh, as a, a church by the end of the day. Hopefully you'll be able to say that, right? And in the Greek, it gives us this picture of completion. It gives us this picture of discharging a, a debt. It's uh, defined as to fulfill or execute, uh, to discharge a debt. It's this kind of picture. It is a word of accomplishment. Uh, understand that anytime you say the word to tetelestai and any time you see the word to tetelestai, it is a celebration. It is a happy word. It is a word that says it is finished. Now, there's a, a truth today. There are some sermon notes in there. There are very few because I want you to get one thing uh, today, and I want you to get one thing well. And the reality is that it is is finished, that the work is done. Now, there's a a little statement that we're going to look into and something that we're going to see throughout this passage, and you'll see it on the screen, and it's this, tetelestai was a common word, And, and you're going to see that it was a word that they recognized very well in that time, and it meant something significant to the readers of the New Testament. It was a common word, and it was shouted by a conquering Savior as the work of the cross was complete. This is tetelestai. This is the word that we're looking at. Again, it is my favorite word. I, I use it all the time. When I finished school earlier this spring, my wife gave me a gift. And on that shirt, it said tetelestai, right? It is finished, right? I, I was so excited when I hit submit on that last paper, and I was like, sty, right? It is done. Now, now the Gospels, uh, the, the synoptic Gospels give us this picture, right? So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we hear the way this word was spoken, right? We see that Jesus shouted, that he cried out with a loud voice. So we see the way uh, that this was, was stated. We see the way that it was communicated. And in John's Gospel, he tells us what he said. So we're going to lean into that, and we're going to get there. But we want to get into the context of where we're at. This week we've been reading about the cross. Last week you remember we were in uh, this beautiful time where Jesus is going to have the last supper with his disciples. They've been uh, in these passionate arguments right before. These disciples have who's going to be most important in the kingdom, who's going to be number one. And Jesus leaves them with this incredible example as he takes a towel and washes the, defeat, the feet of his disciples, right? So we see this beautiful picture. Last week we said, hey, there's nobody in here that's too big for a towel, that God desires to use all of us as we serve one another, that there's this Uh, this call that we have. Jesus said this. He said, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And we see that there's no shortcut to love outside of humble service to one another in Christ. And so we see this call to take a towel, to serve one another, to share the good news of the gospel. Uh, in, In many ways, we We do that by first serving people so that we can share. So both inside the body of Christ, outside the body of Christ, we are called to serve. He gives them this beautiful example. And then he leaves that place, right? And what we see is that Jesus is heading to the cross. And we know uh, that as on his path there, right, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we remember this place, right? There's this intense prayer that is going on there. And we hear the words of Christ as he uh, cries out. He says, "'Father, uh, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me.'" But not my will, yours be done, right? We see those kind of moments, right? In Luke's gospel, the scripture would tell us that that in, being in great agony, verse 44 of Luke 22, that he was praying very fervently and the Bible tells us that his sweat became as great drops of blood. Uh, medical experts would call this condition hematidrosis and there's this moment uh, of intense anguish and intense stress that a person can get under that kind of anguish in the, in the capillaries in their forehead and these blood vessels would literally burst and, and, and people would literally sweat blood and we see Jesus under that kind of anguish in the garden under that kind of place and he is sweating literally great drops of blood he, he is betrayed by a kiss. Now, understand that this uh, this Passover, as, as they were uh, partaking in this feast, as they'd gathered uh, together in the upper room. If they'd gathered in that place, we understand that in that time, uh, that the day started uh, at 6 p.m. and so they were there in those moments. And along this time, uh, they had left that place. It's probably 10:30, uh, 10 or 10:30 that evening. Uh, at this point in time, it's probably 12 or 12 30 that night, maybe 1 a.m. And we see that. Jesus is betrayed by a kiss. We see him arrested. Uh, we know that Judas betrayed him with a kiss. He was arrested uh, and he was taken first to a man named Annas. Now, Annas uh, was a former high priest. He had been a high priest for many years and he begins to examine Jesus. And in those moments, he makes this decision and he says, listen, we need to take him to Caiaphas. We need to take him uh, to Caiaphas who was the, uh, the current high priest. He was there. Uh, he, they get there. There are some of the current elders. There are some of the same. Sanhedrin court that is involved. And they begin to examine him. And Caiaphas understands and uh, begins to make uh, these decisions. And he says, listen, we're going to need to bring more people in. And so uh, through the night, they're assembling uh, the Sanhedrin court. There is a group of people. And as this group gets there by maybe uh, uh, 5 a.m., right, that that all this Sanhedrin court is there. And we read in Matthew's gospel that that during these times that they would spit upon Jesus, that, that they spat on his face and they beat him with their fist. And I want you to understand that we have a Savior who has demonstrated the love of God to us in no other way uh, possible for our imagines to think that there is no greater way. The scripture would tell us that there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. Jesus is going through all of those things. Uh, Early that morning, the Sanhedrin has gathered there and as they meet and as they examine Jesus, they make these decisions that this man is guilty of blasphemy, that that he is deserving of death. And they say Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take him to Rome. And when we get there, we're going to petition them to crucify this man. So they take him to the Romans and they uh, find uh, Pilate. And when they are there, what we see, it's probably 6 a.m. in the morning. And here he is standing before Pilate. And Pilate examines him. And the things that you will remember about Pilate's examinations of Jesus is that he would look at him and he would say, I find no fault In this man. That's what Pilate recognized, right? He would see that. And then Pilate is in those moments and he's saying, but isn't this man isn't this Jesus? Isn't he a Galilean? And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to transfer him. I'm going to send him to Herod because Herod has jurisdiction over Galilee. And so we're going to send him to Herod. Now Herod was a man who had been looking forward to the time that he would meet Jesus. He had longed to see him, not uh, for any other reason than to hear. He'd heard about the miracles that Jesus could do. He'd heard about the the signs, the things that Jesus would do. And so he's excited uh, to see him in those moments. And that's what he wants to see is miracles and signs. what we read is that Herod and his soldiers, that they are mocking him, that they are treating him with contempt, that they are clothing him. in in the Scripture says a gorgeous robe, that they are mocking him uh, as king, that they are doing those kind of things. But Herod says, I don't want to make this kind of call. And so he sends him back to Pilate. Now, when he gets there, uh, he is uh, on trial again, right? And Pilate is examining him. And when he does, again, Pilate looks and he says, I find no fault with this man. He tells the people, I've found no fault with this man. Neither is Herod. That's why he is back here. What do we do with Jesus? And at this time, right, Pilate says, hey, I'll punish him and I'll let him go. I'll flog him. I'll beat him. And then I'll let him go. And it's customary at the time of the feast that they would release a prisoner, right? And there's, the scripture tells us there's a notorious prisoner. That's there A man named Barabbas. And and I'm sure Pilate is thinking it's going to be easy. They're going to release this man that I can find no fault in. But the crowd cries out for Barabbas. And he is released. And Jesus is crucified. Beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 19. The scripture says this. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. You know when we read those words scourged. And we think about those a lot of times we... They don't necessarily mean a whole lot to us, but we understand that these Roman soldiers, that they would take the cat of nine tails, that would be interlaced with bone and steel, and that they would scourge, and, and, and these are, are not uh, little men along the way. You can imagine that these are professionals. This is what they do. The scripture says that they scourged Jesus, that they beat him, and they would beat him more severely even later in this passage. We will read about that. The scriptures tell us that they would plait a crown of thorns, that these soldiers would, would make this crown of thorns, and that they would take this and put it on our Savior's head. That they would take and clothe him in a purple robe, and that they would mock him. Look at verse 3. So they begin to come up to him. And say, Hail, King of the Jews. And to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out so that you may know. And again, here's Pilate. He says, I find no guilt in him. Then Jesus comes out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And he comes out. And Pilate says, Behold, the man. He says, Look at this man. look, behold, here is this man portraying him. In the, in the innocence and the, the frailty and the beating and the things that had been going on. And, and I imagine uh, Pilate is hoping that this would be enough for them. But the chief priests and the officers, when they see him, verse 6, tells us that they cried out, saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered and said, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made him out Himself out to be the Son of God. Crucify Him. They turn Him over to the people. The Scripture would tell us that probably about 8 a.m. that morning, they are taking Him in the Praetorium and they are scourging Jesus. They are beating Him. It is a beating that most uh, criminals, that most of those that would be beaten like this never survived the beating. We would see that, uh, that they would unmercifully beat our Savior, that they would, uh, He would carry His own cross, The love of God is greater than we could ever imagine. They stretch him out and they nail him to a cross. They stretch out and hung up our Lord as a common criminal. This is our God. This is what makes Christianity so beautiful. This is our God. 9 a.m. Jesus is nailed to a cruel cross. 9 a.m. was the time of the temple sacrifice, the morning sacrifice. And here's Jesus being nailed to a cross. And we see in the scripture, right, that it is the ungodly that he is being nailed on a cross for people like me. He's being nailed on a cross in the place of sinners. He is on the cross being crucified for those that are even nailing him to the cross, that Jesus would look out at them and say, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. Read these words in John 19, beginning in verse 18. The Scripture says this, There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on each side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews, Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. It's pretty interesting, even in these moments, right? That promise to Abraham for all people, right? Here it is in common language, right? And in language, people could see it. It was dying for all people. The chief priests and the Jews, they were saying to Pilate, verse 21 He says, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. But Pilate answers and he says, what I have written, I have written. Now, there's something interesting to me about that. Because what I believe is that Pilate knew that Jesus was who he said he was. But understand this. When Pilate was talking to Jesus, you can look early in that chapter. He says, don't you know that I have power to, to uh, free you, power to do those kind of things? And Jesus said, you wouldn't have any power if it wasn't given to you. Right. But Pilate had that kind of power and he knew who Jesus was. But the pressure of the crowds, the pressure of political pressure of Caesar, all the things that are there. And Pilate chose the crowds over Christ. It's what he did in those moments. We can be guilty of the same things. Then the soldiers, verse 23. When they had crucified, Jesus took his outer garments, and they made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now, the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it will be. This was to fulfill the Scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now, see, Jesus wanted us to see something in this moment and we don't want to read by this, right? Because in a moment where it seemed like everything was out of control, in a moment that the disciples would be seeing their Lord, uh, their, their their rabbi, that they would be looking and they would see Jesus being crucified in the darkest moment that they could ever imagine, right? And as they would look to that moment, as it would seem like everything was spinning out of control, what God wanted us to see in that moment is that the cross was not an afterthought, that he was fully in control in those moments, that that hundreds of years, right? Right before the Persians invented crucifixion. That in Psalm 22, that that there would be a a prophecy, right? That would point to this very moment. uh, That there would be a description of crucifixion. That David would write about this. And he wanted us to see that this was part of his plan. The scripture says that he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And when we read the Old Testament, we don't want to read and say, God started out and he created Adam and Eve. And then things went wrong. And all of a sudden, he made a promise to Abraham. And everything, uh, they, they, they just kept on messing up. And so finally... God keeps trying to figure all this thing out, and then he says, okay, well, here, I'll come up with this way. No, what we understand is that this was God's plan all along, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to be in the book of Acts, and we're going to see Peter, uh, who is denying Jesus as we read these passages, who is uh, fleeing from the cross, who is running. Uh, we're going to see him face to face with a risen Jesus, and all of a sudden, he's uh, emboldened by the Spirit of God that he begins to preach, in the power of the Spirit of God, and in those moments, right, when he does that, he declares to them, this man in Acts 2.23, he said, he was delivered over to you by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God and you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And the next verse, right, spoiler alert, right, but God raised him up. That's what the next verse says. And we're going to celebrate that next week. We're going to get there, right, putting an end, right, and when he said it is finished, I want you to understand it was finished, that he put an end to the agony of death, that he put an end to all those things. We're going to get there in a few minutes, right, here the beauty of this, right? So the soldiers did these things, verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother, his mother's sister, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw that his mother and the disciple, and, and John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? The disciple whom he loved standing nearby. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your son. Mother, And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household, right? Even in those moments of suffering and anguish, Jesus was mindful of the needs of his mother and wanted to see her cared for. After this, verse 28, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. Psalm 69, 21, if you're taking notes, it's where that is prophesied that this would take place. It's a prophecy that is being fulfilled The scripture says in verse 29, a jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it. To his mouth. Now, when the Jews in that time would have heard the word hyssop, they would immediately have been taken to the Passover. If you remember, that was the type uh, of plant, that was the type of branch they would use uh, to apply uh, the blood of the lamb to the doorpost. Here, just this picture uh, of all that God is doing in these moments, right? The Scriptures that, that they uh, put it on that branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. In verse 30, what we've all been waiting for, a jarful, uh, excuse me, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, to tell us It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What a Savior. What great love that we have seen in the cross of Christ and that word to tell us, die. It is finished. And it is packed with meaning. Remember, it is a a, a common word. It meant something to the people that were there. And the more that I've studied this word and the more that I've looked at this word. uh, Years back I read a a commentary by Warren Wearsby and was just introduced to this thought of to telestine. The more that I've learned and studied that specific word, the more that I've understood the way the original language looked in those moments, the more powerful that it gets and the more that it resonates in my heart. And and so I want to ask us this morning what is finished? And when Jesus cried out to Telestai, it is... Finished. It was an interesting way that it was worded. It was in the third person singular. Uh, it was in what is called the perfect passive. And so, when it's in third person singular, you might say, "Why in the world are you telling us any of that? Is that really important?" And I would tell you that it's very important because here's what it is: It tells us that Jesus was not speaking of himself when Jesus cried out to Telestai from the cross. It wasn't a cry of defeat. Jesus wasn't saying, "Hey, listen, I've gone as long as I can go. Uh, I've, my blood." has spilled out as much as it can spill out and, and this weary cry of, of, of it's over, right? It wasn't a cry of defeat. It was a victorious shout. It was a victorious uh, cry that, that Jesus exclaimed that it is finished, right? He didn't say, I am finished. This is a a common word that he used, right? But it was expressed by a conquering Savior. It was victorious. It it was a rejoicing moment. Now, it was in the perfect tense. And when you look in the Greek and there's a perfect tense, it's really important. And I love what it tells us because when we see something in the perfect tense, it means it's something that happened in the past, but it was completed in that moment, right? But it has ongoing and present uh, meaning for the moments that we are in now. And it will continue to do that. And so when Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished. What he said is it is finished right now. And I want you to understand something. Tomorrow, it stands finished. And today, it stands finished. It is finished. It will be finished. The work is done and it will continue always to be Finished. it was a common word it was shouted by a conquering savior as the work of the cross was complete now historians and scholars they tell us a lot about this word and the things that we learn uh, about what it meant to those folks in this time bring out so much meaning uh, in this passage now we could see that it was used by artists so some of you in this room you may be people uh, who love to do crafts or who love to create things uh, people who might do wood carvings or paintings or those kind of things it's this picture that as they would do that work that as they they would work on those things and as they would get it to the perfect place that they would look at it and say there is nothing else to be done. It is in a complete place and when they would get to that place in the carving of the craft or the things that were done, they would say that word to tell a right? That it is finished, right? That there is nothing more To do servants and slaves. They would use this word when they would complete work that their master had asked them uh, to do. When they would complete those tasks, right? And in John 17, 4, Jesus says this. He he says that he has glorified God on earth, right? And and he says, I've having accomplished the work that you have sent me to do. Wearsby gave me great insight to the Greek priests of those days and and the the priests of those times, those Greek priests, now they were uh, worshipers of false gods, right? But the, these worshipers, the goddess or goddess that they uh, or gods that they would worship, the priests would examine the animal that they would bring. And they would look at that animal to make sure that that animal uh, would fit the bill, right? That it was without blemish, that it was fit to be Sacrificed, And when they would examine that animal and they would look at it and see that it was faultless, they would say, to Tetelestai. Now, uh, the Jews, they would do the same thing. It would be in Hebrew or Aramaic that they would speak, but but they would say the equivalent of those same things. They would inspect and declare, without blemish, to Tetelestai. And my favorite of all, and there's all kinds of things that you can find as you look through the history of that time, but my favorite of all, was this, right? There would be people that had merchants, right? That would be holding notes. They would be uh, owing a debt that was due. And when the creditor that was holding the note, when that moment came, right? We've had those moments where we've paid off a car uh, or where we've maybe paid off a house or we've paid off some kind of debt. In those moments, and if it was up to me, I think every uh, lender in, in this world ought to, when we pay those off, they ought to just send a note with a, the word "to tetelestai on the bottom, and we ought to open that up. And it would say that it is finished, that the debt has been paid. And, and this is what we would see in those kind of moments, right? Paid in full. The debt has been paid. And today, when we look to these words of Christ, I want to remind you that the debt has Been paid. Forgiveness is what we needed most. And it is what we deserved the least. And the price of our forgiveness was great. As we have read about the cross. The the, the death of God's one and only son. And we look at the cross. And we see the great love of God. Can I remind you this morning. That we owed a debt. That we could not pay. We owed a debt. That we had no way of paying. And Jesus owed nothing and he paid everything and we look at the gospel and we look at the word of God and what we understand is what we earn is nothing that it was all the grace of God you know I had a few weeks back I was in a restaurant and there was a family that worshiped here I believe that uh, all of a sudden it got time for us to pay our bill and the waiter came over and he said hey listen listen um, I just want you to understand, he said, you don't have a ticket today. He said, it's already been taken care of. It's paid in full. He could have said to Telestine. It would have been a great <laughs> moment, right? Yeah. And it would have been crazy for me to look at that waiter and say, you know what? I, I, I need to pay something. I, I'm going to pay it anyway, like, like for me to try to pay it again, right? Because it was paid and full. And sometimes, right, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can, we can live and we can act in a way that we're trying to pay on a debt that has already been paid. And I want you to understand, is it's insulting to a holy God to think that we can do anything to earn our salvation, that we can do anything uh, to uh, make ourselves right before a holy God. The debt has been paid, and if we are If we have trusted and believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We owe nothing. But then in light of his grace. We owe everything. It is is response to the grace of God. In our lives. It is response to his goodness and his mercy. Right? The debt has been paid. Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus. This is the truth of the scripture. That we... The debt has been paid. Right. There remains no more need for sacrifice. Hebrews 10 uh, w- would tell us that, that Jesus at offering once for all sacrifice for sin. Th- that he sat down at the right hand of God. The work is finished. Our response is to believe and trust in the finished work of Jesus. And then... In the power of Christ in us. We do. Right? We, we, we do respond to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And out of an overflow of his grace. We are gladly servants of him. We are willing to surrender all of our lives. To live for the glory of his name. Not to earn our salvation. But because of the gift of our salvation. Because of his amazing Grace. It is as a result of his favor, not to earn his favor. It is as a, a, a result of his grace, not to earn his grace. And we go and proclaim the good news of the gospel to all those who are around. And we go into all the world and we preach and teach and we baptize. Well, we do all those things, right? And the scripture says that we teach people to observe all those things that I've commanded you. That there's this discipleship that takes place. And we do all of this not to earn God's favor, but because we have been extended his favor. Because we have seen his goodness and his mercy. John 3.36 says, He who believes right in the Son has eternal life. And then there's an interesting twist. right He says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. See, there's this litmus test. If we experience the grace of God, we will walk in obedience. Now, we will not be perfect. right But Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? And obedience is the evidence of a changed life in Jesus Christ. And he who began a good work in us. He will see it through into the day of completion in Christ. God has finished the work. And because he has finished the work. Listen, we must finish the work he has for us. I think of the Apostle Paul. and He said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I mean, there's no greater words than a follower of Jesus Christ should desire to say. The last breath that we might have to breathe might be to tell us I've done all that I can. I've finished my course. In the grace of God, I've done all that you have for me. The scripture says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship. I want to remind you that not only is it finished, that the new covenant, God has done everything that needs to be done. That if you were in Christ, no matter how far you have gone, no matter, no matter what he has brought you from. You know, there was moments where uh, I was struggling with a call to preach. And I'd say, God, you know who I've been. God ever do that to you right he you know that you're called to be used by him and and he Satan whispers those things right we we look and we say you know what I know who I am how could you use me I want to remind you that your past is finished can we hang on to the truth of the The Word of God that would say, if anyone is in Christ, can I remind you that He is a new creation. That all things, and all means all, have become new. That We walk in freedom. All things have become new. Our past is finished. And now we must finish the work He has for us. You know, I I shared a couple years ago that we were building our house, I left a, a little spot of siding right at the top of the house. And, and I had to move my ladder. And I said, you know, one of these days I'm going to get my ladder back out. And I'm going to climb up. I'm going to get back up on that little high point of the house. And I'm going to take that little vinyl siding and I'm going to nail it up there. And when I do, I'm going to shout to Telestai so loud that like everybody all through, like in hearing distance, is going to know that it's done. Now, you may be wondering, like, no, I hadn't done that. I hadn't done it. <laughs> it's still not finished. And there's a lot of stuff, right, that we leave undone. But thanks be to God that he's left nothing undone. That it is finished. Now, a lot of times, I'm not too worried about that side. Sometimes we can worry about things that don't really matter. But when I read the Word of God, I want to tell you something. People matter. Relationships matter. Our response to the grace of God, it matters. Finishing well matters. Our heart matters would be that we would pursue and follow Jesus, that we might run the race that is set before us with endurance, that we might look to him, the author. And did you notice what that scripture says, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Who for the joy that was set before him, did you know that was, that was us, right? The redemption plan of God. Scripture says for the joy that was set before him, that he endured the cross, despising the shame. And it sat down at the right hand of the Father. The work is done. We walk in victory. We're empowered by His Spirit. We're going to look in a couple of weeks. We're going to roll into a new series called Spirit and Truth. We're going to see how God has empowered us with His Spirit to walk in victory and to live uh, as followers of Him in the midst of this broken world. Listen, your past is finished. Your dark days are finished. Your work here is not finished until He calls you. And may we live in response to his grace. Hudson Taylor, who was the founder of China Inland Ministry, said this uh, about, he meditated on this passage and on the words, it is finished, on to he, he wrote this, there dawned upon me the joyous conviction that since the whole work was finished and the whole debt was paid upon the cross, that there was nothing for me to do but to fall upon my knees accept the Savior and praise him forevermore. This is our response to the grace and goodness and mercy of Jesus. And if you've never trusted Jesus, we understand in in the language that we use, when there is a debt that is greater than we can pay, when the debt is so big and we are so far, there's something that people will do in those moments, right? They will recognize that and they declare bankruptcy. Basically say, you know what, I can't pay it can't do it. And spiritually, when we look to the cross and we understand the holiness of our God and what it's required to be in His presence, we see our sinfulness, we see our brokenness. and We declare bankruptcy and say, you know what? There's nothing that I can do, but when I look to the cross, it's already been done. We make the great exchange, right? He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Jesus took my place on the cross. He paid the debt that I owed. And Not only did he pay the debt that I owed, God treated Jesus like I deserve to be treated. And when we believe and trust in the finished work of the cross, he then credits me with the righteousness of Jesus. And he treats me like Jesus deserves to be treated. Church, it is finished. The work is finished. and our only response is to receive it with joy to believe, to trust and then to live in response to his grace with everything that we have he is worthy of our praise, he is worthy of our worship he is worthy of our obedience what a save